0: Hey everybody, welcome to At Large Bid this week Brought to you by the 48 Minutes Network I am Tim Daniel I am Ryan Lester So guys, we have a really, really fun episode this week We're really stoked Our first guest ever on At Large Bid We got Kerry Miller Who is a National College Basketball writer for Bleacher Report And he gives us a good 50-55 minutes of his time We touch on a lot of stuff, Ryan A
1: lot And it was very informative Couldn't have had a better first guest
0: Yeah, so we touch on a lot of things As far as like how many teams we see go win the title, where are these teams' ceilings, what teams are in trouble. Uh, we, we get everything in there for you. Talk about Players of the Year, Coach of the Year, all that a whole lot more. I don't want to tell you guys everything because I want you to listen to the episode. But without further ado, I think, Ryan, we can go ahead and say, check out our show this week with Carrie Miller Bleacher Report. And before YouTube blocks us like they always do, our friends and state champs.
1: Where it all began. was it time that we asked for? Or was it anything to feel complete forevermore? I wanna see myself like I used to back then, but every
2: time I turn around, I'm in LA again. Don't take this for granted, that's not how we get it. I know.
0: We're tearing these pages before we get to watch it unfold. All right, so on the line with us now, our first guest ever, actually, on At Large Bid. He is from Bleacher Report. He's a National College basketball writer, uh, Mr. Kerry Miller. Kerry, welcome to At Large Bid, and thank you for being a guest on the show.
2: Hey, absolutely. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, so I know I was telling you before we came on air, um, I found your work because you wrote an article on Antoine Davis, the freshman sensation at Detroit Mercy and I just like about a month before you wrote that article saw him play at the Cintas Center against Xavier and they lost Sly a lot but I think he sold like 26 points and he got hurt and left the game early. So you know how did you find Antoine what were your thought I mean uh, what were your thoughts from the first time you saw his tapes you know were you shocked about how the Houston thing went down when he went to Detroit Mercy?
2: Uh, yeah you know he he followed his dad um, I know he originally committed to Houston um, Kelvin Sampson, I Found an article of him saying, you know, he's the best shooter he's ever recruited in the state of Texas, which wow. makes you wonder how he uh, ended up committing to Texas Southern and then Detroit. But he was just following his dad. You know, he's working out with John Lucas Jr. and his. Some of the stories about him, like shooting three thousand to ten thousand shots per day, like every day for years. Like he, the kid's a, he's a machine and. Um, like you said he got hurt in that game. I'm surprised that he's even able to get hurt because he's I know. he's such a he's built like a string bean, but he's he's very resilient, gets to the line a lot and he has the the greenest light that you'll ever see in college basketball. It reminds me of uh Marcus Keene from uh, central Michigan a few years ago, the guy who yeah, averaged yeah. almost 30 points per game. so that I, I did a piece on him whatever year that was two, three years back, and right before. That published is when he had like his 48 point game and was like doing spin moves for no reason at the three point (laughs) line. He he got really popular because it went on SportsCenter and then that published the next day and it it went viral. And now uh, I did a piece on Fletcher McGee from Wofford last year, right before they beat North Carolina. So apparently I'm the mid major like whisperer at this point. You are, man. Can so you write we'll... about
0: Drew McDonald and Tyler Sharp now for me? <laughs>
2: I'll I'll see what I can do.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you know they're they uh this that way if they like I get to travel somewhere if they go play somewhere important. So <laughs> so um uh, yeah that like I said I really enjoyed that piece on Antoine. Was, I'm actually get to see him play the night this show goes up. So. I'm pumped for that, but there is a lot of stuff going on right now, Carrie In college basketball. We actually last week started our bubble watch with some teams and you actually just put out a bracketology um, on Bleacher Report that I really enjoyed reading. And I was kind of looking through different stuff. Obviously things have changed in a few days, um, i.e. Michigan state losing. Um, But Kansas is a team that a lot of people are talking about. It seems like the sky slightly falling there. And if you talk to Kansas fans, because it's the first time in 14 years that, their Big Twelve reign might be in jeopardy. Um, obviously, anytime you lose Yudok know, Azabuki, that's a huge loss. And then they have the suspension to what's this? I I'm totally having a brain fart DeSosa. right now. DeSosa, thank you, Ryan. Um, so, what are your thoughts on Kansas right now? Is this could, could a team like Jackson Hayes and Texas finally take that realm from them? Can Jared Culver do this?
2: I I would be shocked if Texas does. I uh, actually wrote um i don't know if it was this week or late last week about Baylor being the the sudden yeah rise from the ashes team i mean they were awful in non conference play but i mean they lost a ton of players so that was to be expected but all of a sudden they're they're killing it i think they're 5 and 2 or 6 and 2 in league play uh they might might be playing right now i don't even know but <laughs> um There's
0: like 10,000 games a
2: night, so. Yeah, right, (laughs) especially on Wednesdays and Thursdays for whatever reason. But, yeah, Baylor and Kansas State both, uh, as of right now, only two losses in conference play. And Kansas already has four. So, you know, it feels like every year, end of January, early February, we start talking ourselves into, oh, is this the year Kansas is going down? And then they end up winning the league by two games somehow anyway. But it does feel like this is not their best team by far. Like you mentioned, Azubuki out, no DeSosa. They still have Diedrich Lawson, but uh, Quentin Grimes has been a real disappointment for them. Was supposed to be, I think he was number 10 on a 24-7 sports composite ranking. Like, he was supposed to be a one-and-done guy, and he had one good game against Michigan State, and that was about it. He really hasn't done much since then, and that's kind of why they're Struggling, They have no perimeter game. They're like the complete opposite of last year when they had four three-point shooters in the starting lineup. So, you know, a complete transformation for them. And if they do win the Big 12, I think you almost have to make Diedrich Lawson the uh, top runner-up to Zion Williamson for National Player of the Year. Interesting. So, I have a question for you. I don't know if you're aware,
1: but tonight... Texas actually beat Baylor eighty four to seventy two. Son of
2: a gun. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what's your take on that now? <laughs> well, having having watched the tape on that game, uh, um, no, I know I know that was a road game for Baylor, and that was one of the ones I had circled as a, a potential loss. Even though I said I didn't think Texas would win the Big Twelve, just from. Mm -hmm. having seen them in non-conference play, I know they had a loss to VCU. Uh, They were a little, I think they have 10 losses on the season. um, They're a weird team. Yeah. Them and, and Florida and Nebraska, all these like nine and 10 loss teams who look good in the net. But when you watch them, they don't actually look that good. It's a little weird, but (laughs) um, yeah, that's, that's a really young team. Like you mentioned, Jackson Hayes has kind of come out of nowhere to become a a projected lottery pick for, pretty much everybody that does the mock draft stuff. So, um, you know, we really thought that if they were going to do anything, it would be like all Kerwin Roach this year. And really Jackson Hayes has been awesome for them.
1: Yeah, I watched Kerwin Roach go off on North Carolina. So I've been watching them ever since they blasted us. They're such a fun team. It's like a typical Shock of Smart defensive team, I feel like.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're not as it, – it, it's not the, uh, the havoc by any stretch of the imagination, but they're – He's finally got his team there. I think mm-hmm. I know Roach was originally recruited by Rick Barnes, but um, he was a good, shaka smart kind of guy. <laughs> As I um, said, I feel like he would fit in. Yeah, everywhere. yeah. <laughs> and then you know they had the uh, what was his name, Jared? Ah, uh, huh, what was the five star guy? Went one and done. The uh, guy, whatever. They had one guy come in. He was supposed to be kind of like the the building block, and he went a little earlier than they were expecting him kind of had to restart from scratch i think uh you know really shaka smart when he was at vcu he was working with seemed like five juniors or seniors every single year and now he's you know starting to get his own juniors at least in that roster Mm -hmm.
0: so looking at your bracketology um Mm -hmm. which is really well done by the way if you guys get a chance to check that out on bleacher report carrie did an awesome job first off can you kind of go into detail as someone who mocks a bracket, how hard that is, and how much work goes into it?
2: Uh, I mean, actually, building the bracket doesn't take that long. Um, maybe an hour, hour and a half. Writing, well, as much as I do, I it ends up being like a 4,500-word piece every time I do it, which is stupid. I don't know why I go into that much detail for something that's going to be stale in 12 hours anyway. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's there's a website warrennolan.com where they like they break down uh, quadrant records uh, home loss homes uh, home wind loss road wind loss neutral wind loss it's got everything you need so i just basically copy and paste that into a spreadsheet reference with ken palm and just kind of i have my own sort of semi formula from that data that i'm able to put together but It doesn't take that long. Um, It's weird to me that guys like you know, I I know Lunardi is the 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 forebearer of bracketology, but doesn't really write many articles. I don't know why he can't put out a new bracket every couple of days. (laughs) It's not that hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I was just always kind of thought it was like I've obviously never done it, so. um, But you have currently as your one season, you have Virginia you have Duke, obviously, you have Tennessee, and you have Gonzaga. Mm -hmm. Um, One team I really kind of want to touch on because they've been really hot of late, you mentioned Ken Palm, they're number eight right now in adjusted defense on Ken Palm is Kentucky. Um, Ryan makes a point that I actually really agree with when we talk talk about Kentucky, uh, being that we're an hour north of Lexington, that they are a national championship defense with a sweet 16 offense. Mm -hmm. Um, In your eyes, you know, if you disagree with that by all means, but like is this a team that you think now that thinks how things are shaken up maybe this week, you know, could you argue them in that additional, that last one seed over Gonzaga? And do you think they're a team that potentially could be a national title contender?
2: Um, I do think they could be a title contender and they are, they were my, uh, just missed team. I have them at number five overall. Um, so they're definitely, you know, very much in that one seed conversation, but I had a, uh, an article come out like January 3rd or something it was bold predictions for the new year and i said that kentucky would turn things around and get either number 1 or number 2 seed cuz at the time their their resume wasn't that strong and then they immediately went out and lost to alabama and i felt really stupid but they've been <laughs> i think they're like 10 and 0 since then and they've been yeah. ridiculously good um you know that game against kansas uh, i know it was close uh and it was a home game so they kind of should have won, but I I think they kind of asserted their dominance in that game really when Ashton Haggins became just a, you know, Gary Payton, practically getting five, six steals a game. He's ridiculous. And that has really, you know, that's always the case with John Calipari teams. They're, when they're at their best on defense is when they're at their best overall. But I do like that, that, you know, point that you made, Uh, championship defense, sweet 16 offense. They really do kind of struggle to shoot outside of uh, Keldon Johnson. If he's not on, or if, you know, Tyler Hero's not having one of his really good games, it's tough to say where the offense is going to come from. So, that certainly their limitation uh, heading into the tournament.
0: Do you think Nick Richards actually likes basketball? Because we, we,
2: we debate this all the time.
0: We don't know if he does.
1: Yeah, it's an ongoing thing. Like, I think there's a picture the other day. I have a really good UK friend, and she was like, oh, I found a picture of Nick Richards actually smiling, and it's weird. <laughs> yeah,
2: I thought, you know, I, I thought heading into the offseason that he was going to be their, you know, star player coming back Me for too. his sophomore year. You know, him and P.J. Washington. I think really when – Reed Travis came in. I don't know if that messed with his psyche or what, if he felt like that was Calipari saying, Hey, I don't think you're the guy for us. <laughs> I, I don't know how he interpreted that, but when he wants to play, I mean, he is, I know he has one of the highest block percentages yeah. in the nation. Like, he can get after it on defense. You would think he would be a more valuable player, uh, you know, playing more than whatever it is, like 12 to 15 minutes per game for this defensive oriented team, but. It's just not working for him or E. J. Montgomery for that matter. He doesn't have the same block percentage, but you know, one of the guys I think he was the highest rated uh, freshman for Kentucky. Like if anybody on this team was supposed to be one and done, it was supposed to be E. J. Montgomery. So that's been weird for me. Um, you know, I've kind of harped on him throughout the year. Anytime I do a, a winners and losers or players not living up to the hype thing, like it's it's a sure thing that E. J. Montgomery's gonna be on there at this point.
0: Yeah, you basically just kind of put it in my head now that uh, Nick Richards is basically the modern Perry Stevenson for Kentucky. Watch <laughs> shots, get some rebounds, and that's about it. So, yeah, makes sense. Maybe a higher, obviously a higher ceiling.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's uh, maybe a Josh Harrelson type guy, but with uh, without the, <laughs> without wow, the, the jorts. jorts effort. <laughs> yep.
0: Dude, I say it all the time, like covering Northern. Like, Drew McDonald is basically like a poor man's Josh uh, Harrelson, but in a good way. And, like, I really feel like, like that's, it. like, a perfect analogy for him. That's
2: a good comparison. A Poor man, Josh Harrelson. <laughs> Woof. Uh, I think but... you could do better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do, like, Drew a lot, actually. He's, a, he's really awesome. He's been really good to me. Um, so, last thing we'll kind of touch on, Kentucky, because I know this can kind of go a little all over the place. You know, I'll kind of tell you what people around here think. I'm not sure for sure where you're located by any means. But a lot of people around here seem to think the only way they can be a one seed is if they finally if they find a way to beat Tennessee once. Mm-hmm. And I can say this as a diehard Xavier fan. Last year when we were a one seed, I'll say we, it's fine. You know, <laughs> they lost to Villanova twice and still got a one seed. So do you kind of think that that's a bad take? Do you think this team could potentially lose to Tennessee twice and still be in that one seed route?
2: I think if they lose to them three times, you know, in the SEC championship game, that would probably be their undoing for the one seed conversation. But I – I, it, it, part of it is that their two of their three losses to Seton Hall and Alabama weren't uh, particularly great compared to, right. you know, Virginia's only loss was to Duke. Uh, Michigan's losses were road games against top twenty five teams. Gonzaga's only losses were to Tennessee and North Carolina. So from that comparison, if you then add a couple more losses, even though they would be obviously very quality losses to Tennessee. At a certain point, it's just a you know. If you have six losses, it's it's tough to end up on the one seed line. So I, I think it'll really come down to um, will either Virginia or Duke drop out, and I don't think either one will. No, so probably it'll not. probably it'll probably be those two, and then the the SEC champion. Uh, my, my hope, I, I mean, I don't have any routine interest, but for bracket purposes. I hope they split Tennessee and Kentucky and then they meet meet again in the SEC championship game for a rubber match. And that determines who gets a one seed. I think that would be great for college basketball as a whole.
1: (laughs) So segueing into Duke and Virginia, being a North Carolina fan, how would you feel if, you know, we just decided to go and just win out the rest of the season, uh, beat Duke both, (laughs) both games. um, And, you know, Optimism (laughs) become ACC champs and then, is there a possibility for us to get a one seed?
2: Oh, absolutely. There's so definitely a possibility. I mean, yeah. I have them at seven or eight overall right now. So, you know, on the two seed line. And then, you know, obviously, you'd get a win over Virginia, two wins over Duke. If you then win the ACC tournament, too, I mean, hell, you could be the number one overall seed. I mean, I mean we don't have to do much It's definitely there.
1: No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I don't know if you listened to our, our, uh, episode last week, but I went on a really cool tangent, um, about Nas Little. I don't know if you've heard anything about the chatter with him starting. Um, but in Carolina land, for whatever reason, they think that Nas Little needs a start. What's your take on that? Um, cause I don't know if you've read up, but he's actually kind of fine with coming off the bench. Um, so have you, have you gotten a chance to see him play much at all this year?
2: Uh, I did. I was at the uh, Gonzaga game at Chapel Hill, and mm-hmm. that was actually uh, – I was hoping that would be the Nas Little game. That was the seventh <laughs> Woods game. That's who yeah. I ended up writing about in that yeah. one. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't bother me that he's coming off the bench. I would not care at all if he was yeah. – You know, I, I generally look at, you know your per forty minutes numbers more so than your per game numbers. So yeah, he's basically
1: know. averaging the same amount of minutes as uh, Brooks. So it's it's just kind of funny to me. Um, I've seen him play twice now, and I think he's just a huge liability on defense right now for me. Um, and he's not as aggressive as you think he would be too.
2: Yeah, and it is weird. You know, like you said, he's a bit of a liability on defense and. You know, as far as the roster construction is concerned, he's basically replacing Theo Pinson, who was one of the best defenders (laughs) that Carolina has had in the past decade. So it feels even worse than it actually is on that end of the floor. But I I think to me, I I actually wrote about this recently. I think part of the reason that Luke May isn't putting up the same numbers as he used to is because Little is there. You know, they have that more assertive player on offense. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Kobe White is a better point guard uh for them than joel barry was even though he was oh, you know yeah, the yeah. ncaa tournament mvp and i think he was an all-american one year or whatever but that was mm-hmm. more a product of the success than his individual accolades as far as i'm concerned but uh, I, I think that the <laughs> the tar heels are definitely one of those teams that you know you kind of maybe were joking that they could go on a run and beat duke and virginia and get to a one seed but i I think they have the talent, and maybe I'm skewed because I was at that Gonzaga game where they scored 103 points against a team that had already beaten Duke. But yeah, what do I know? I, I, they're they're a very hot and cold team. I mean, oh the, my
1: goodness! Losing so by games.
2: 20 to Louisville and then beating <laughs> Louisville by 10 it's just it's so weird. I I
1: yeah. can't figure them out. The two games I was at was actually at the Kentucky North Carolina game, and then I was just previously at this Louisville Carolina mm-hmm. game. So it's just. It's just like you said; they're the most. I feel like they're the most inconsistent team.
0: What do we say? They could either go to the final four or lose in the first round. Yes, absolutely.
2: Yep. And that was uh, heading into the the game at Gonzaga, and I was chatting with my boss about potential angles, and that was one of the. You know, if North Carolina wins a close game and there's no specific player that stands out, we write the uh, this is the most consistent inconsistent team ever really like, it just yeah. feels like they they can beat anyone and they can lose to anyone and, and that's, that's that's the best that's way not, to put it yeah I guess so <laughs>
0: <laughs> so kind of piggybacking a little bit uh, you, we mentioned Louisville and obviously Chris Mack being there and mm-hmm. obviously I got to ask questions about him so first off what he's done there this season has been amazing and I don't know like I like your take on it I know they had a lot more talent probably than we thought they did And I know a lot of people, I know, like, One Shining Pod, I listen to them a lot, and they joked that he was going to see this roster and be like, are you sure I can't go back to Cincinnati? (laughs) You know, because I'm going to have these guys here, which, woof, we'll get to that, I'm sure. Um, I've kind of said that I think right now, you know, I know a lot of people are talking about Coach K being Coach of the Year, but that's kind of like giving LeBron James the MVP at this point. I don't really see anyone that really like, in my personal opinion that could really take associated Pretch because you're from Chris Mack for what he's taken a shambled program to, you know, is Musselman really the only guy maybe like, do you have anyone that really should like, do you think he's coach of the year? Is there someone in your eyes that should have it over him?
2: I mean, I would throw Tony Bennett in there True. for having Virginia so good after last year's just embarrassing debacle. But yeah. I, I do think Chris Mack has got to be coach of the year. Um, yeah, he'd be number one in my book. Like you said, that wasn't supposed to be much talent on this roster. Uh, Dwayne Sutton has been a real breakout player for them. Getting those uh, transfers, Stephen Enoch from Connecticut and uh,
0: yeah.
2: Cunningham from wherever the heck he came from. Stanford, <laughs> two... I think. Yes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, two two seniors who have been. You know, every anything they could have possibly asked for for them, and you know, Malik Williams was—I think he was a five-star guy. If not, he was a high four-star, but wasn't good last year. And now all of a sudden, he's playing well as a sophomore. So just getting a lot out of everyone. And I, I think the the real difference for Louisville this year is kind of that Chris Mack presence. You know, mm-hmm. he really. Has guys playing aggressively uh, on the glass. That was always, you know, every year Xavier was like top five in the nation in rebounding margin. Yeah. And you're seeing Louisville is a hell of a lot better on the glass than they were last year. They're getting to the uh, free throw line a whole heck of a lot more than last year. And that's, you know, a real, real difference for them. And, you know, they certainly one of the biggest surprises of the year. I did a winners and losers of the year piece uh, earlier this week, and Louisville was my biggest winner among teams. So, uh, I'm with you, Chris Mack for Coach of the Year. Let's do it. <laughs> I
0: am in. yeah, and you talk about like I thought the one guy honestly that would really just take a huge step this year for Louisville was Darius Perry. Um, I got to see him in person last year in the NIT, and I just like everything he did, albeit playing against you know a lower tier of talent. I thought Perry was going to take off this year, and he's had flashes, but I thought like especially like I've seen Chris make you know Jordan Crawford is obviously an NBA player, but like Chris made Trayvon Blood an NBA player. Chris made, like, Malcolm Bernard a star. Chris made Edmund Sumner an NBA draft pick with an injury. Like, I thought Darius Perry was kind of going to fall in line with those guys.
2: Yeah, I I hadn't really paid any attention to him before this year, and he, he is really a kind of an afterthought on this year's roster too. But he, he's probably the only guy on that team who's not exceeding expectations thus far this year. And yeah. VJ, V.J. King has was been VJ a, a huge disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We knew that last year and two years ago, though, so, um, yeah, the, I mean, the one guy we haven't mentioned, uh, mostly on my part, because I butcher his name all the time, Jordan Wara, yeah. uh, just, ridic- I mean, he's averaging like eighteen points, seven rebounds, I mean, he's arguably the biggest breakout among all sophomores in the entire country, I mean, for him to just explode like that has been so huge for them.
0: Um, kind of you know, there's so many guys I want to talk to you about, and like this is you know, we, like I said, we don't get guests on here much, so we're the only two people on our network because we're we're an NBA network except for our show, so we're the only two people here that like talk college ball. Um, so we're like any chance we have someone to talk with, we're like yes, hey, stay forever. <laughs> um, Jaron Cumberland from UC, uh, I know he's up for shooting guard of the year. Um, I've called him the walking damn bucket this year because that's all he's been. I was there for the Crosstown shootout. I was there when they played Northern. I saw them play uh, a couple weeks ago against South Florida. And it's like, I watched, I mean, were 36 at night. He, it's like, so, you know, we know what McCronin teams are, right? They're not an offensive firepower. But this kid has really become an offensive firepower for this team. And I saw Rothstein tweeted that we should really talk about him being a second or third team All-American. Do you think that's too high for him? Because I, I I'm starting to really believe he could definitely be in the case for 13 All American.
2: I mean, he is what Cincinnati has been lacking since Sean Kilpatrick went to the NBA. Like they yeah. they just need that guy who's going to just like just give me the damn ball and I'm going to score. Like they they haven't had that in four years, and that's why they've. I mean, I know they were seeded well in recent years because they kind of blow out bad teams and they look good as a result but they've never been that good just because they haven't been offensively capable and Cumberland gives them that um you know in a a weird way they got better by losing Gary Clark who was you know as far as uh (laughs) the advanced metrics you know box plus minus and win shares he was one of the best players in college basketball in the last 10 years as far as, you know, value added is concerned, but somehow they got better by losing him just because Cumberland has really taken over that team. I mean, he's been incredible shooting, what, 42, 43% from three point range, uh, really good defender too. I mean, I, aside from maybe uh, Jarrett Culver, uh, and even he has struggled for the past month or so, I, I, I could certainly see Cumberland being named the shooting guard of the year. I mean whatever uh whatever random award that is that they give, <laughs> I think he could get it. There's like five hundred freaking awards that we give out every year. I so. know. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, he he's been so huge for them and you know, I, I think they where they're at in bracketology conversations I don't think is indicative of how capable that team is with a you know, he could be the Kemba Walker of this tournament. But Ooh. with that kind of defensive effort and that kind of one man offensive show that uh, he could turn into that. I guess uh I guess now that it's been eight years since Kemba or so I should call him the uh the Cindarius Thornwell of this tournament instead. But <laughs> he, he could be that guy for sure. Yeah.
1: All right, so I got a question for you <laughs> that we've kind of been talking about um pretty much all year and that's about Michigan State. Obviously, we kind of know their struggles and everything, but Tim and I were kind of talking about it, and I seem to think that uh, it's time to worry if you're Michigan State. Um, Tim, you you said you're not worried? Not yet. How are you feeling about Michigan State right now?
2: I have gone back and forth on Michigan State <laughs> all year long. Uh, I had to do a uh, – uh, what the heck was it, like a contenders or pretenders thing for the top 10, uh, the AP top 10 teams. And, you know, I even said in that piece, like, Michigan State is the one team that I don't feel like I can figure out because their their turnover woes are so problematic to me. You know, yeah. looking from a, you know, looking at Ken Palm and, and sports reference, all this stuff, like, that always jumps out at me. And the point I made is it, it feels like it's a – you know, they're so good at everything else that they feel like a, a a Clayton Kershaw type of dominant pitcher, but that type of pitcher who just walks the first batter of every freaking inning. That Like, they're just willingly giving up so many possessions because of those turnover problems. And we saw it in a huge way against Illinois uh, yeah. earlier this week. And, you know, everybody... I was your
1: tweet about that.
2: Yeah, everybody jumped on Twitter, like, so many of the national analysts were like, what's going on here? I'm like, you guys haven't been paying attention. Like Illinois forces turnovers like crazy and Michigan state can't hang on to the ball. So what were you expecting? And I think if they, you know, if they get the right draw in the tournament, they'll be fine. But if they run into a, you know, a really steals oriented team, they could be in trouble in the very first round. So there, that's a team that I'm afraid to back in the tournament, but that I also feel like, you know, if you'd asked me two weeks ago who I think are the two or three best teams in the country, I probably would have said Virginia, Michigan State, and Duke. And, you know, I don't feel that way now that they're struggling. <laughs> right.
0: So, one of your noteworthy risers is Marquette. They have the, you had him as a four, you have him as a three now. Um, Marcus Howard has been a thorn in my side for a few years now. Um, <laughs> he seems to get every foul call possible, um, but I think he's earned it. So, I think he's definitely Big East player of the year. Uh, Maybe Eric Pascal is probably the closest bet to him But is Marcus You know you mentioned the Kemba Walker Comparison with Jared Cumberland earlier Howard kind of falls in that too right Kind of that guy that can just go nuts Albeit he's got the twin brothers who obviously can shoot from everywhere too As I witnessed in person a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. But um, you know I feel like Howard almost like Could be that guy too Where like if Marquette's down six With like a minute and a half to go in a tournament game He could hit three threes and put them right back in the lead
2: yeah, he's him and uh, Carson Edwards for Purdue. Yeah. I feel like they're just the same same guy who are just perfect carrying these teams who were, you know, both Marquette and Purdue lost so much from last season. We knew coming into the season that this is what they were going to be. It was like, in the clutch, they're going to have to turn to their star guard, and it has worked for them over and over and over again. Um, I will note that you know, you said I have them. What a, I had them as a three seed. That was before they lost the home game to St. Right. John's. I don't know where yes. they're at right now. They would probably a be a Shibori five. Pons but... Having his great day. Yeah, it, if if it's not Marcus Howard, I mean, you could certainly put Ponds in the conversation for a Big East player of the year. Mouse He's been Powell. great. But
0: Zach Hankins.
2: Oh God.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> my uh, my editor asked me yesterday: is, is there a Grayson Allen type player in college basketball this year? I was like, ah uh, I think people hate Brad Davison from Wisconsin and I know a lot of people hate Zach Hankins from <laughs> from Xavier but they're not really that nationally relevant so I don't think there's a Grayson Allen type guy but
0: <laughs> he's actually like it's so funny Zach is like super loved on campus so it does have that Grayson Allen-ish effect where like I love interviewing Zach I love talking with Zach but like there are a lot of people like outside like outside Norwood Ohio that like can't stand him
2: I mean I, I like him as a Marshall Henderson type of guy, where he just he's he acts crazy. He acts like a dick kind of on the court. I don't know <laughs> if I can say that, but sure, I, I think it's the cornrows aren't helping him either. For the, the the national perception, that you just get this idea that he's a I don't know. He's like trying to be a thug or something, and then he acts like a jerk on the court. But I, I believe you. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he, he just has this. Marshall Henderson type uh, persona from a, an outside perspective.
1: Every team has to have an antagonist, right?
2: I mean, it's not hockey. (laughs) You don't really need that.
0: (laughs) So kind of curious your thoughts on kind of going through your bracketology again. Mm -hmm. You have this really, you have a, you have a matchup that I absolutely love potentially in the second round in Columbus. You have Kentucky as the two going against Loyola Chicago and then Florida state, Indiana. So I love the idea of, and I know Indiana, and you know they've been so up and down. We've been all over it this year. I'm a huge Romeo Langford fan, but I love the idea of if that works out where Indiana wins and Kentucky wins, Romeo Langford against Ashton Haggins in a one-on-one matchup. What do you take from this Indiana team? Like, obviously they're they're so weird because, like, like they beat Louisville, they just beat Michigan State, but in between that they had a seven-game losing streak. Like, is this one of the hardest teams to place when it comes to bracketology?
2: Uh, I mean, the, the streak doesn't really matter because you look at the whole resume, you just look at, you know, quadrant one wins, where they're at in the net, where they're at in strength of schedule, and whether that means they, you know, won their last 10 games or lost their last seven games doesn't really make much of a difference. I think that's one of the sure. things that people were unable to comprehend last year with Oklahoma, where they built up such an incredibly strong resume in the first two months of the season, then really struggled uh, in the back half of the season, but they still had a tournament worthy resume. So that's a complete aside. But uh, yeah, Indiana's tough because of their. Um, even though, you know, the committee will tell you over and over again, conference record doesn't show up on their resumes. I mean, they're three and seven or four and seven, something like that in the Big Ten. And once you get like more than a game or two below five hundred. You just start to feel sick about putting that team comfortably in the NCAA tournament field uh, just because of that. Um, but they, when, you know, Jawan Morgan is playing well, and when yeah. Romeo Langford is playing well, they have one of the better, you know, inside-outside type duos in the country. And even though Langford isn't shooting well at all, which is not what we were promised coming out of high school, he was supposed to be one of the best three-point shooters in the country, I thought. <laughs> but um, I think they're—they should be better than they are. And you know, winning a road game against Michigan State, winning a home game against Louisville, like that is occasionally what they're supposed to be able to do. They're not supposed to lose to Rutgers. They're not supposed to look bad against you know Northwestern or whoever else right. they've lost to recently. Like I'm really surprised they've been as bad as they have been. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're you know, one of those teams who really turns it on in the last month of the season and solidifies their spot in the field. Um, I'm not looking at their schedule right now. It may be total hell the rest of the way, and I'll look dumb for saying that. But I think just in terms of the roster, like they should be better than they are.
0: Yeah, I think after the Butler game we recorded and I like was like full-fledged ready to jump on the Indiana bandwagon <laughs> after that game. I was like – literally came on here and I did the Hoosiers chant. I was like, let's Holy go, God. and then everything just kind of went to hell from there. <laughs> um, but, you know, it happens. So kind of get your honest take from this, from covering college basketball, all the, all the games you watch. I'm sure you watch – you're probably the one of the few people in the world that watch more games than we do. Except for John Rossi, of course. He's just a great Twitter follow, isn't he?
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's uh... – He's something alright. Yeah, he is. <laughs> no, he's, I don't under- he's a nice I don't, guy.
0: Yeah, he is, I'm sure. But I don't understand some of his tweets when he's like Villanova's a Fortune five hundred company. And he sends it fourteen times for the season. I'm like, Okay, bro, we get it. They're they're a great they're a great program. We know this. I mean and the like- best
2: one is definitely uh Bobby Asterisk 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 curly. Uh, that, <laughs> that's the best one that he sends out, but Arizona State doesn't win very often anymore, so we don't get to right. see it much. <laughs>
0: Where he's like Chris Mack, cold blooded. I'm like, what does that even mean?
2: And there's something, what is uh, what Mike Bray? Something about a Batman bet, yes. bet, betting against Mike Bray. He's 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 crazy. And I, yeah, I, he the other day he tweeted uh, that his West Virginia one is like tougher than a long weekend with your in-laws or whatever, I'm like, dude, West Virginia's like 9-12. and 12. You can knock this off already. <laughs> yeah, I was cracking
0: up. There was the one where he was like, West Virginia lost by 31. You don't get to say that often. You quote Twitter was like, you could going to that January 30th. Yeah,
2: literally two <laughs> losses by the exact same margin. Like, what are you doing, man?
0: <laughs> and then once this face West Virginia gets kicked out of the game for tripping on the bench, which is like awesome. Just great. Yeah, that was pretty um, cool. <laughs> so in your eyes, looking at this, the overall field of college basketball right now, Mm -hmm. how many teams off the top of your head can win a national championship?
2: I would probably say like 10. I guess I should list them. Uh, (laughs) You don't have
0: uh, to, but it might make this a little bit more intriguing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, sure. No, definitely uh, the top three in the ACC, Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina. Yeah. I think Kentucky and Tennessee are certainly there. Um, Both Michigans, when they're – Playing well. It's weird. You know, Michigan State doesn't play defense. Michigan doesn't play offense. If they could just combine <laughs> those, they'd be a really good Michigan if you powerhouse. Cash Cassius, um, Winston
0: and Iggy together. Oh, that's that's gross.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they could make a, a really nice uh combined roster, but let me where am I I'm at, I'm counting. Uh Gonzaga, obviously I have them as a one seed, so they're at least in the conversation. I think Villanova, despite their early losses to uh, Furman and Pennsylvania. I think they've really turned it around. I know they needed overtime to beat uh, Creighton tonight, but whatever. You're eventually going to struggle in league play. I'm not concerned about that. And I think... Couldn't they have
0: struggled two weeks ago against Xavier at at Philly, though? (laughs) Couldn't they have struggled then?
2: (laughs) Uh, They only struggle like three times in Big East play per year, so it, it is what it is. And I still think even though they're like, around 20th on Ken Palm and in the net I think you have to put Kansas in that conversation even though they've you know like I mentioned earlier Quentin Grimes not playing up to his potential they've had their their big injury they've had their suspension but they're they've played the toughest schedule in the country they're like 17 and 5 they're gonna figure it out um they were the number one team in the preseason I don't think they've Completely fallen apart, so they're at least still there somewhat. And if you want a uh, wild card beyond that, certainly Nevada, uh, whatever they are, 21 and 1, even though they haven't played a quadrant one game all season, they were a top 10 team in the preseason. They are living up to that potential, and I don't see why they couldn't do it with, you know, five fifth year seniors in their starting roster.
0: So, on the other end, um, who are some mid-major teams maybe people should keep an eye on before Selection Sunday, you know? I know, like, come Selection Sunday, everyone kind of does a whole, like, yeah, Belmont <laughs> knew about them when they beat Kansas. Like, knew that was going to happen. I'm like, you, you didn't know that. <laughs> you know, like, um, I think, you know, and we're not counting Gonzaga as a mid-major here because I'm t- they're not anymore. We're past nope. that. Not um, even close. So who are some of the mid-major teams you kind of, like, have your eye on that you've seen that could really make some, make some noise in the tournament? What a game or two.
2: I mean, definitely Buffalo, if we're mm-hmm. counting them as a mid-major, even though they've been ranked for a, a good portion of the season. Um, they've been struggling lately. I think they lost to Bowling Green and – uh, Northern
0: Illinois. Northern
2: Illinois, yeah. Eugene
0: German, he's a hell of a player.
2: Yeah. I mean, they – I actually wrote uh, – right before that, a piece about Buffalo might be the next Gonzaga, and then they've lost two out of the last four (laughs) games, so maybe I'm not the mid-major whisperer. (laughs) Player-wise! It goes a little uh, in both directions, but um, that's the team that, you know, they're going to be, at this point, like a six or a seven seed, and I think everybody's going to be in on them winning a game, maybe two, and you're not going to find much... uh, you know much of a market inefficiency in your bracket pools by picking Buffalo to win a couple of games. Um, the teams that you will be able to, I would say, are Wofford and Lipscomb. Uh, you know, I have them both as 10 seeds right now, so they're ahead of the teams who are on my bubble. Uh, that's how strong their resumes are, and I think their, their play Wofford's backs fun. that up. Wofford is a lot of fun. Uh, Cameron Jackson their big guy. everybody knows about Fletcher McGee at this point but their big man Cameron Jackson is like a a Diedrich Lawson Ethan Happ type of guy who you know averages i'm going to say 16 points and 8 rebounds but he only plays like 22 minutes his per 40 numbers are just off the chart he's like second in the nation in efficiency to Zion Williamson he's ridiculous and, and he flies under the radar they got two two guys aside from Fletcher McGee who can really stroke it from three-point range? So they're a team that could be dangerous. I mean, they destroyed South Carolina earlier this season. I know South Carolina was kind of awful in non-conference play, but I thought that was a real statement game for them. And Lipscomb, uh, I think they almost beat Louisville. They swept Belmont. I mean, they had a lot of, uh, you know, reasonable challenges for an Atlantic Sun team, and I think they they backed themselves up with that 20 point road win over Liberty recently. So I, I think, you know, Garrison Matthews leading the way there, they could be something special. So being from Kentucky,
1: the best player in Kentucky is a guy who actually doesn't go to a huge school
2: uh, being John ja Morant. Okay. I'm trying to remember all the schools in Kentucky. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> so you're right. You're definitely right. <laughs> if,
1: if they, which we will assume they'll make the tournament, obviously. Um, Do you think that they can make a a run and him power them to win some games that they shouldn't as well in the tournament? Uh, I
2: I had them as, you know, one of the Cinderella teams. Uh, I think they were number three in my Cinderella rankings uh, a couple weeks ago um, before they lost to Belmont and Jacksonville State, I believe. But... I worry about their defense, uh, for sure. I mean, obviously Morant can do, you know, Trey young level things. Uh, you know, he can put up 28 points, 10 assists and six rebounds and basically any game that he wants, but will they defend well enough? And will the, you know, the role players, the, uh, guys like Terrell Miller, will they show up consistently in the tournament? Um, I think if they're a 12 seed or a 13 seed, they could definitely be, you know, the 12 or 13 seed that makes the annual run to the Sweet 16. But I do worry about that defense, and we'll we'll see. Uh, they they definitely need to win the Ohio Valley Conference tournament at this point. I think, yeah, because um, they really didn't beat any. They they performed well against Alabama and Auburn, but they don't have really any quality wins. So if they if they win any, or if they lose any games between now and the uh, OVC championship game, I think they they're going to be auto bid or bust. So you
1: don't think he can dunk his way into the tournament?
2: <laughs> <laughs> he can try, and he certainly <laughs> will. <laughs> he will. <laughs> oh man!
0: So, um, Carrie, kind of like a couple more questions we get out of here. Last week on our bubble watch teams, we talked about the San Francisco Dods. And I know they're kind of a hot button right now where it's certainly not talent, because they're certainly good enough to be in the tournament, but a lot of people don't like that strength of schedule being in the low 180s. Um, what is your take on this team? Is it Do they have to be Gonzaga to get in? Do you think they could have an at-large bid?
2: I thought they were in good shape before they lost back-to-back games to San Diego and St. Mary's. Um, when they lost the home game to Gonzaga, when they were, you know, they, they were in that game for like 32 minutes and then all of a sudden Gonzaga ran away with a 13-point win. But when they lost that game, it really felt like they either need to win every game except for the uh, rematch with Gonzaga in uh, in Spokane, Washington, or they need to win that road game against Gonzaga and then they can afford a slip-up or two. So at this point, they need to beat Gonzaga on Thursday night or else they're not getting in as an at-large team. I don't think they did enough um, in terms of quality wins. I think their best win was like BYU or Harvard, maybe like that's that's not going to stand out to the committee by any means. Um, I know I guess they won a home game against St. Mary's, but even that isn't anything special this year. So having not played a particularly strong non-conference schedule, like you mentioned, I know that. Uh, there was an issue where, like, Arizona State backed out of a game or something, and that hurt them. But still, the, the they weren't able to do much with their schedule. And I love Frankie Ferrari, but I don't think they can get in that large if they don't beat Gonzaga on Thursday night.
0: Well, the spread on that is Gonzaga favored by 18. So I don't yeah, it's think not
2: promising. That... Yeah, Vegas <laughs> is
0: um Vegas is with you on that. Um, I did kind of want to ask about Penny Hardaway because he's my favorite basketball player ever. And he's been nothing but entertaining so far at Memphis, to say the least. Um, do you find it hilarious that a guy who's done nothing is talking about coaches being jealous of him?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm in the national media, so I guess I'm supposed to hate him, right? Based yeah. on what he's been saying. <laughs> What's the weird, Rick well, Barnes
0: fight's amazing.
2: <laughs> I mean, before the season, I I was all in on Penny. I thought he was going to be able to turn things around at Memphis we in a hurry not. based on you know how, how good he was at the— what was it, eighth grade or high school level or whatever he was coaching. He, I yeah. mean, he was, you know, state championships. He was crushing it um, as a, you know, inexperienced coach. And I don't think they've been bad. Um, You know, they've no, had some, no, no. some bad losses lately. Yeah, they're good at home. Um, and what was it? Jeremiah Martin had that 41-point half, and they still lost a game the other day. But, uh yeah, Penny Hardaway is a trip. He's a... Uh, He's going to be fun uh, for for anybody looking for clickbait in college basketball for the next couple of years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm really excited about Wiseman going there. Obviously, I know it's kind of like set in stone, but um, talking about recruiting, I'll ask this for my good pal Ryan here to give him some <laughs> more optimism. Anthony Edwards is visiting North Carolina soon, and then obviously Cole Anthony has North Carolina's and one is two team his ones and twos right now. Do you think there's a likelihood both those guys go to UNC next year?
2: Uh, I'm really not that up to date on my oh. 2019 class yet. To be honest, I, that's what the seventh month off season is for. <laughs> but uh, you're right. I, I think when I did a, uh, I looked at the the top uncommitted guys, like the top six or seven, uh, maybe in early December, and. It didn't seem like there was any sort of package deal (laughs) likely going on. It seemed like all of the six or seven were going to go to different places. Um, Obviously, Vernon Carey. um, Is that who it was? Ended up at Duke. And um, the one guy recently committed to Michigan State. Again, I'm not up to date on my 2019 guys, so I don't remember names. But (laughs) no, you're you're good. You're good. But uh, yeah, I. I don't think that we're going to see many uh, package deals this year. I think it's going to be more spread out than usual, and I think we're going to see at least one of those top 12 to 15 guys take up the G League on their uh, their little offer to pay whatever it is was, $100,000, $150,000. Is his last 000. name
0: Ball that you're mentioning there? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh yeah that would be one of them for sure if, if he even gets that uh max offer from the League, I don't think he's that good but well he, he wants to go to the he says that he wants
1: he wants to go to like basically the top 10 in the nation right now so he wants to go there not that he's getting recruited but that's where well, he wants to go to school
2: and his dad wants Lonzo to go to Phoenix and that doesn't <laughs> right. mean
0: much right. <laughs> so you know, I know you said you're not up to date on recruiting, but should we now, like with some latest news coming out? Last one of the last questions for we'll get you out of here. Should we expect Nico Manon and Josh Green to be released from their LOIs at Arizona with the latest Ooh, news?
2: Uh I don't know. I mean, I this was like the the least surprising, slightly surprising story of the season. Like, oh, the FBI is coming against Arizona. Like, is this a story from eighteen months ago? Like, wait, <laughs> Did this get pushed to the top of my Twitter feed by accident because they decided to change the latest tweets with some crap again? But...
0: Well, Schleybach's got the tapes, bro. Don't you know?
2: Oh, yeah. Apparently. <laughs> oh, my God. That was one of the most ridiculous stories of last season. So um, bad.
0: Bad journalism. Yep. Yep.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, well, the, the the stance I'm taking with all the FBI stuff, which is, you know, them Thankfully, nobody really asks about that much anymore. But, man, there's like a nine-month stretch there where if I agreed to, to any radio spot, I knew I had to talk about the FBI for at least like <laughs> 10% of it, and I was so sick of it. But, I, I mean, just assume that everybody's dirty and that nobody's going to get caught. That's about where I'm at with it. Yeah, um, They're not going to bury the, the top school. They might bury some of the players like they did with uh, Dewan Hernandez, you know, formerly Dewan Hewell of Miami, uh, like Silvio DeSosa at Kansas. Like some of the individual players might get totally screwed in all this, but I don't think we're ever going to see like a death sentence for any of the conference or any of the major conference teams. Um, you know, Arizona and USC or two of the primary teams in that whole FBI thing and they're I believe one and two in the 2019 class rankings right now so (laughs) obviously future players don't much care about it either so I don't know why we should worry about it as college fans
1: so not to jump around again but since we are kind of talking about the tournament Mm -hmm. um, I just have a quick question what is one of your favorite memories from the
2: tournament? Oh man I think, at least recently, the the Wichita State-Kentucky game, I think that was 2014, I had no rooting interest in that game. I didn't care. I think I had the, the four or the five seed winning the, the fall. Like, even in my bracket, I didn't care. But that game was so good that, like, I was, my heart was racing. Like, <laughs> I don't know how any Kentucky or Wichita State fans could have handled that game. Like, it was insane. Um and I I grew up a Duke fan, so okay. I don't don't hold that against me, Mr. No, North Carolina not. fan, but I
1: actually can't stand NC State more than Duke now, so.
2: Mm, yeah, they're <laughs> That is one of the most insufferable fan bases that I've ever come across. I'll oh. I'll leave it at that, but uh they have a prolific offense. So, when <laughs> 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 Oh my. You got me off track. Oh, uh, when uh <laughs> what the hell was the name from Butler Uh, when Hayward? Yeah, when Hayward missed that shot, uh, my heart stopped for a solid 10 seconds. I don't know how long that ball was in the air, but it felt like an hour. Uh, (laughs) That was one of the top moments of my, you know, pre-bleacher report, uh, pre-needing-to-be-unbiased life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think mine probably would be Mateen
1: Cleaves when he rolled his ankle and then came back. Um, God, I can't even remember what year that was, but he rolled his ankle like really, really bad. And we're Tim and I are really big sneaker heads. So I can remember he was wearing the questions <laughs> and I just remember like, oh man, that looks bad. And he came back out and I, I don't even remember. I honestly don't even remember. I think they went on the win, the national title that year. But I remember that obviously every shot that uh, <laughs> went in for North Carolina and then <laughs> didn't go our way either. Um, what's your favorite
0: moments, Tim? Uh, I remember Xavier beating Sean Miller a couple years ago. <laughs> remember that one really well. <laughs> yeah. We'll never forget that one without Edmund Sumner, without yeah. their best player. Yeah. You know, it was a great,
1: Good times, right? Yeah. I, carry, was, I was, I was
2: stunned sorry. by that run. That was yes. one of the most shocking elite eight runs that I can remember. And I, you know, I, I actually picked, uh, Davidson. I was on the Steph Curry bandwagon before anybody else was. I had Davidson in my Elite Eight that year. That was the best bracket I ever had, and I used up all of my bracket karma that year. I've been terrible ever since. But <laughs> Xavier making the, the Elite Eight a couple years ago—that I thought they were one of the the worst teams in the tournament yeah. that year. Man, that was that was crazy. And they what they played Florida State and just destroyed them in the second yeah. round. That was that was nuts.
0: Travis Steele talked about that oppressor not too long. It was right after the Marquette game when people were like, "How concerned are you about this team?" He's like, "We went 0 oh, for February a couple of years ago. We're nearly eight, So, <laughs> yeah. um, so Carrie, man, you've been awesome, and we've really appreciated having you on. And I really appreciated, you know, you coming on and kind of talking with us a little bit. I also, appreciate your bracketology. You're the highest rated person for Northern Kentucky University of anyone. Ooh. So, like, I'm <laughs> I'm really looking forward to going to like Jacksonville or something in a couple weeks if I get to. Um, so if that's all I'm going to say, I'm going to give you credit for that. So, um, before we get you out of here, man, uh, please take a second to your shout out your Twitter account, how anyone can interact with you and, uh, you know, by all means, the a Yeah.
2: Well, I I'm on Twitter, uh, at Karen's James. It's uh, K E R R A N C E J A M E S. It's a made up name that my roommate in college came up with. I don't know why. I'm an idiot for making that my Twitter name forever ago, but uh, so be it. Uh, that's what I'm stuck with now. <laughs> and I generally will tweet out articles. Who, you know, Anything I write, you can catch on there.
0: Perfect. Well, Kerry, again, like I said, I really appreciate you coming on, man. We had a lot of fun. You were, like I said, you're the first guest we've had here. So you've definitely set a great bar for us, man.
2: I appreciate you stopping on. I'm glad I could be your first.
0: (laughs) All right. So this is going to wrap up this week's edition of At Large Bid, brought to you by the 48 Minutes Network, guys. A lot of fun college basketball games this weekend. Duke, Virginia, UC Houston, a lot of stuff to watch. So everyone enjoy the games this week and have a great night.
1: See ya.